I started out my ministry in youth work. And I served for three years at a pretty little church in the center part of New York State at St. James in Skinny Atlas. It was there that I helped them begin a youth group and got my feet wet in the Episcopal Church. It was actually that church that led Michael and I into the Episcopal Church and the church from which we were both confirmed and I was ordained. While there, we had several kids that were involved in another Christian organization that was in town, which talked about the life of following Jesus differently than we did. And I remember one teenage person coming to me and saying, is it okay if I haven't been born again? That was the language this young person had heard in the organization of which she she was a part. And it didn't apply to her, at least not as it was described. Being born again was expressed as a joyful and wonderful opportunity, and that was the pivotal moment it was taught in which a person committed themselves to Christ and followed them all the days of their lives, and she didn't have that as part of her story. This little snapshot, I think, is reflected in all of us. We can have kind of a faith inferiority complex, wondering if our faith is as good as that person's faith, especially if we're really moved by their story, by their example. We wonder, is something wrong with me? I don't have that story. Faith inferiority. Who would have thought that you could put those words together? But I would guess any one of you, at some time in your life, have wondered if your faith is good enough, good enough for God to work. Perhaps sometimes we have trouble telling our stories to one another of how God has worked in our lives because we don't want to imply some faith inferiority for another person? Have you found yourself so incredibly moved by God's work in your life, but yet you're afraid to say it? It's not like you have some formula or something. And the last thing that you might want to be perceived of you is that you can hand out a recipe for God's action in people's lives. Afraid, perhaps, to tell your own story because people might ask too many questions for which you really don't have answers, but you know it's true. I think about this, and as somebody who spends all of her time thinking about growing in love of God and nurturing others and growing in their love of God, you might think that maybe this thought never crosses my mind. But indeed it does. And I wonder, can I tell you about something, about God's powerful acts maybe in my life or of some other ones that I've witnessed, and make sure that you don't leave with some fueled faith inferiority complex. I don't want you to leave this building thinking that if only you'd done something better, you would have more of God. Our gospel stories of God's transforming love in our lives are ultimately about God, but they're intimately about us. We see this in the gospel stories that we read last week and that we've read this week. They're ultimately about God's love, God's saving acts, God's salvation in our lives. But they're intimately about us because they come close to who we are. They come right into the very heart of who we are as individual, unique human beings. 
You see, God always draws close. God waits for the invitation, the desire on our part, and then God meets us wherever we are. Perhaps the challenge for any one of us is to say it out loud that we wish that God would come close, because God definitely will. We see this in the gospel stories read last week and this week. Last week, the disciples were in the upper room and Thomas wasn't there. And that was hard for Thomas to not be a part of witnessing the resurrected Christ. And he says that he wants to see it himself. And Jesus appears to him. In Thomas's uniqueness, in his desire to touch it himself, the resurrected body, Jesus answers his prayer and comes close, meets him right where he is. That story is ultimately about God's saving, about God's gracious and generous love, but it's intimately about Thomas. We see that in the readings for this week. Here is Peter. As you know, he denied Jesus three times beside the fire outside of the high priest's home the night before Jesus was crucified. And here we have Jesus asking him three times if he loves him. This tells us something about Peter, and maybe something about you, for you might be like him. Playing over your wrongdoings, thinking if only I had said it differently or done it differently, it would have turned out better. Golly, when will I ever learn? Those can be our internal narratives, and I wonder if Peter had the same. Grieved by his own denial of Jesus, he said it three times, just like Jesus said it would happen. And here he has the opportunity to acknowledge each one. Jesus asks him three times, once for each denial. Ah, this story is ultimately about God's saving love, God's generous love. God's desire to convey to Peter, it is good, follow me. But it's intimately about Peter. He needed to have the question asked three times. The second lesson is also ultimately about God, but intimately about Saul. Saul was an all or nothing kind of person. Maybe this is part of you too. He was an all or nothing guy. He threw him whole, his whole self into everything, and he made sure every T was crossed and every I was dotted, every jot and tittle. That ref, refers to Hebrew. I don't know if you're aware of that. Hebrew has no vowels. They only have little dots, jots and tittles. It makes a difference if they're there, because you can have different words depending on whether or not they are. Saul was that kind of guy. He was an everything kind of guy. He was a righteous person. He believed in the saving acts of God throughout all time, as was indicated in the Hebrew people. And so, when Jesus met him on that road to Damascus, inviting him to come and follow him, it was a life-transforming experience. It was an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Saul couldn't deny it. It took over his whole being. It blinded him for three days. He refused food and drink because it was so powerful. The people next to him heard it, so he couldn't even dismiss it himself. 
They were there to say, no, something happened. Something definitely, definitely happened. This story is ultimately about God saving love, gracious, redeeming love, but it's intimately about Saul. This is our story, too. Our salvation stories, our stories about God's changing and transforming love in our lives are ultimately about God's goodness, about God's willingness to come close, about God's desire to let nothing stand between us and God. God will traverse the divide, will meet us right where we are, wherever it is. It's ultimately about God, but it's intimately about us because we remember where we're standing. We know our own vulnerability. We're cognizant of our fear. We're aware of our shame and guilt. God meets us wherever we are. That is the good news. Amen.